Miss the show, no worries, on point and on the podcast. Financial burden small business owners are taking on in personal debt in order to stay alive with no real hope of paying it back or even finding a pathway back to prosperity this many months into lockdowns. A growing number of travelers are skipping quarantine rules and taking the fine, but beware, a bigger fine may be coming to you in the mail. And the real headline between the AstraZeneca announcement it, of course, is always in the fine print. Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you, that's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. As far as the government's promises, they're fanciful. They're just fanciful. I mean, the government has promised that by the end of the second quarter of this year, um, roughly 14 million uh, will be out there vaccinated. But that, that number doesn't hold any truth. And the reason is this. For us to hit that number, Canada needs to, starting today and every single day, achieve a rate of vaccination higher than the United States. If you don't achieve every single day between now and the end of June, a higher vaccination rate than the USA, you cannot get that number. There you go. So good news. However, the real news is we are months and months away from getting shots. The sunshine's not what put a bounce into the Prime Minister's step today. Oh, he was so excited because he had news that Health Canada has finally approved the AstraZeneca vaccine, which, of course, then increases the stench of a possible spring election. But you got to look at today's announcement with the fine print, and few do. And as you heard Professor Adderan off the top, it is good news. But it does not change the fact that we are now 57th in the world on vaccine delivery. And the numbers still don't add up for a September deadline. And he'll explain these realities a little bit later in the show. But, you know, the headlines on this will be huge. You know, good news about vaccines. But, you know, he kind of summed it up when I talked to him earlier, saying the real story is just how little news this is. And the bottom line is, you know, we could have had AstraZeneca sooner because this is one of those vaccines that we could have developed here in Canada because we already have the facilities. And, of course, we know that the Trudeau government decided getting a deal with China was more important, so they just did not bother investing in domestic production for this particular vaccine. It's not the mRNA vaccine. So this one, actually, we could develop without you know, humongous changes within the facilities that are already available. And so, okay, AstraZeneca's approved. But we're still at the mercy of not just the European Union, but India. So we've got to wait for them to ship. And yes, vaccines are coming in more steadily now. We got uh, 634,000 doses. That only vaccinates 300,000 Canadians. The same number of people will be vaccinated by lunchtime in the United States every single day. So we are months away from normal. Months from when. And Professor Adran says, you know, there's just no way doing the math. You can bend it every which way to Sunday. You can't get Canadians vaccinated by Labor Day. Unless, of course, they're just going to do one dose, which is spinning the numbers. Because you're supposed to get two. But again, in politics, as I say, it's about optics. And so as long as it looks like vaccines are arriving, 
which by June we're told, you know, 6 million Canadians will be inoculated. I mean, that is pathetic for a G7 nation. But again, the optics alone will help Trudeau because as long as it looks like he's delivering on vaccines, he could pull the plug as soon as uh, he can to take Canadians to the polls because he wants to go when at least he has a chance of winning. And right now, it looks like he would get, get a majority. God help us. And of course, today's news, a coincidentally comes on the very day that the Prime Minister holds his uh, press conference, you know, the Friday press conference that we get when he comes out of the cottage. And, of course, it's during the week where we've had, you know, this explosive military sex scandal and then the stunt that his party pulled in abstaining on the China genocide vote. And why would he want to talk about those things? You know, why talk about those things when you can kind of serve up a nice little vaccine approval for distraction? So as I say in politics, timing is never an accident, which is why... Mercedes Stevenson made sure to go to the press conference in person so she herself could make sure that the prime minister was asked, you know, what he knew and when about General John Vance's sexual misconduct allegations. And then the more recent appointment of Admiral Art MacDonald, who's also now under investigation for sexual misconduct. And as usual, Trudeau dodged and weaved, gave these canned non-answers on safe spaces. And so, you know, Mercedes basically called him on it. My inbox is full of emails from women who have experienced sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces under your government's watch. And today you're telling us that everyone has the safe to a the right to a, a safe workplace, that, that you're committed to that. But you extended the term of a chief of defense staff who is accused of sexual misconduct and under police investigation. You personally appointed another chief of defense staff who had to step down six weeks later due to this. And the only answers we're getting in terms of accountability is that an email was sent to the Privy Council office and that you're committed. What do you say to these women who are wondering whether you're actually serious about this and what steps you're going to take because they're feeling like they're losing trust in the chain of command, that this is systemic at the highest levels of the military, and that your government is not taking action? I think what we've seen uh, with the uh, current chief of defense staff choosing to step aside because of these allegations demonstrates uh, that the military uh, and that the government takes extremely seriously any allegations uh, of the sort. Blah, 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 blah. On and on he droned about processes and the work we have to do, because of course, you know, when he mucks up, it's always a learning you know, lesson for the rest of us. And so again, Mercedes followed up and called them out. Your government was made aware of these allegations in 2018, three years ago. Three years ago that your government had something you could have done about this. There was no further inquiries made by the defense minister. Um, he apparently didn't tell you based on what we're hearing in question period. You're saying you learned about this from media reports. Isn't there a responsibility in your government to take political action when this kind of an allegation is brought forward? Are you satisfied? with how the minister handled this, because you're saying, you know, he, you've always taken the appropriate actions, but this was an email and that was it. There are processes in place that we have put in place, that we have strengthened, that we expect will be followed in every situ single situation. Uh, every case is different and the processes are, are, are rigorous. Um, mm. And that's why there is a review going on right now to make sure that indeed all the appropriate steps were followed. Uh-huh. I mean, good on her. Good on her for uh, bottom-lining it. But give me a break. Rigorous? That was three years ago. Three years later. 
General Vance. It was still he was still in charge. And so rigorous. Give me a break. They certainly weren't rigorous on vetting the new guy because they also missed the allegations of sexual misconduct. I mean, that is just gobbledygook that he just said. And this government, like those in the past, you know, they, they have changed nothing, done nothing, and it will continue to do nothing because they don't have to. You know, they just spin out these hollow talking points that talk a good game but do absolutely nothing, which is why no one ever is ever held to account. And for those wondering why Trudeau gets away with saying nothing, it's because he can. No matter what you do, these stage press conferences, they just don't allow for proper and more challenging scrums. So good on Mercedes for showing up in person to get that question in. And look, the military is not in crisis. This is a total dumpster fire. You know, trust is gone. It's running rudderless. So this isn't about safe spaces. It is about transparency on who knew what and when in this government. And why wasn't anything done sooner? And then all you get are the politicians hiding behind processes. Well, we're looking into it. No, you know, these are before the courts. And, uh, like, enough. Then he was asked, of course, why did you abstain on the vote of genocide against uh, China? And again, total nothing burger answer. Total nothing burger. We've got to be careful. We must be prudent. and We don't want to be reckless. Yeah, la, la. But you know who's not buying the spin? The Australian media who blasted our prime minister. Dear old Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, it was a headline in the papers. I thought when I saw that in relation to, to the Canadian Parliament that, you know, finally we're getting somewhere, you know, some, some, some national, international attention on the Uyghur issue. But he, in fact, abstained from the vote, Corey, didn't turn up. Yeah, but, Peter, it wasn't just him. It was his entire cabinet, bar one lackey who was sent in to let them all know that they were abstaining. This is perhaps the most pathetic government in the history of the, the Five Eyes nations. What is going on in China with the Uyghurs is an absolute disgrace. I think it is a, 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 a blight on the rest of the world that they we're not talking about it because we're too afraid to offend China. Darn right. I love how she called him the Prince of Woke. Uh, he did, by the way, give the opposition uh, credit, saying that they had the spirit and spine to take a lead, which uh, Trudeau refused to. And keep in mind, Australia is also being bullied by China. But they've made clear they're not going to fall down. They're going to stand up to it. So at least, you know, some are willing to call him out. And we all know that Trudeau likes to apologize for mistakes of the past. I just don't understand why he keeps repeating them. So who's going to apologize for him coming down the line? Got a busy show tonight, lots going on, and if you choose to skip skip quarantine, which we're hearing a lot of, you think you might just get a fine? Uh, no, you could probably get one at home sent to you. Um, we'll talk about the lengths that business owners are taking in personal finance to stay alive. No path to prosperity. It'll be very hard for them to pay it back, and we're going to talk... You know, the Toronto mayor is not guaranteeing that the goalposts will move again come March Eighth. So is Toronto opening it? I don't know. But today it did not sound like Toronto's gonna be opening up, which is not okay. Coming up next, uh we'll talk about this report about PSWs not getting vaccines. The question becoming, you know, then should they be able to work in healthcare? They don't have to get the vaccine, but should they then get to work in healthcare? We'll talk about that with the doctor coming on the other side of the break here on Point Taking you Into the Weekend on Global News Radio. 
we've begun those discussions as to what we can do safely that is going to hopefully allow a degree of reopening to begin. But, um, you know, we have to keep a very close eye on these uh, numbers and make sure that what we're doing um, is not setting ourselves up for another lockdown that's going to happen later. So it's something where I just can't indicate what we're going to do. I certainly am in no position based on the numbers that I see to say we should go to red or yellow as much as I wish I could. That's uh, Mayor Tory, and by the sounds of what I was hearing today in the press conference, kind of sounds like uh, we're not racing towards an opening here in Toronto March 9th. And now we're into, what, month four of lockdowns? And, of course, businesses are paying the biggest price, certainly here and the GTA in Toronto, because we've been locked down longer than any other North American city, almost any place in the world. So there is no guarantee once March 8th comes that uh, there will be a reopening. And it's not like cases are going down. They're kind of stuck around the 1,000-plus-ish mark. And the variants, of course, are always a threat. And the uh, CFIB did some calculations, and they estimate, they estimate that the average Ontario business has accumulated debt to the tune of about $208,000 each. And that is the highest debt load in the country. And that's because a lot of businesses didn't qualify for aid. And, of course, the aid doesn't go nearly far enough when you're on lockdown for that many months because you've got to pay for, you know, rent, stock, payroll. There's never-ending costs. And so businesses are having to borrow and borrow and borrow and then guarantee that money with things like their home, personal belongings. And, of course, this is just to give them hope to hang on another day. And then, of course, when you hear there may not be another day because the restrictions will stick around, it's uh, got to be pretty tough. Let me bring back to the conversation Francesca Rocchetti. She is the owner of Francesca Salon and Spa and uh, kind of a voice on this show for the little guy or gal. Good to have you, Francesca. Thanks, Alex. You know, I, you he- I, can't, even, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate you giving us this chance to give small businesses a voice. Because you know what? People just don't get it, man. They're just not getting what's going on. Yeah, and when you hear the the the, um, the mayor of Toronto, I mean, it's not a guarantee that, that things are going to open up after March 8th. And, and if you can't open up, uh, what does that mean? You know what, Alex? We're, we're in such debt that I wasn't even in this much debt when I renovated my salon to three floors from a one-floor place. It, this, the death that we've occurred, and, and, and you know what, and, and I think about, like, how are we going to pay this debt back? Besides the money that we have to pay the government back, because if you don't pay within a certain amount, you have to pay the whole thing back, okay? I mean, besides our business, ex- like, uh, debt that we're in, our personal I mean, this time around, we're not even getting help as a, a self-employed uh, business, like a, a owner. Like, you know what? It, it's just friggin' that I don't even know how we're going to get out of this. Honestly, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Because the longer they lock us down, I mean, every day we incur, incur more and more expenses. It's like, what do I do now? You know, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Do I mortgage my house? to make my business run so I can eat. And, like, you know what? It's getting to the point where, you know what? March 1st would have been 28 years in business, and I worked damn hard, and I worked six days a week, day and night, to make that business succeed. And within a snap of a finger, 
I'm screwed. It's like I'm starting a new business over again. How are we going to make this work, Alex? You tell me. How are we going to make this work? Is he thinking about that in the spa industry, in the hair industry? We haven't had any cases. Why does he let people like us open up and lock down all these people that have different cases in their area and let us make money? And how, yeah, I mean, it, never mind it, how people look and how they feel about themselves. We help in such in, in from A to Z. We help as an industry. Nobody's looking at that all over Europe. The most the, the the first places that are open are spas and salons. We're the only place in the world that's not acknowledging that people need us. To feel good. And I know. Yeah, well, I know you, and I also know that you you uh, spent a fortune on on PPE, uh, you know, the plastic shielding and all the rest of it, just to make your salon, uh, you know, safe. And again, for for listeners that aren't familiar with Francesca, we've had her on a couple of times. This is a successful business. That, you know, it's not one of these businesses that came into the pandemic um, in trouble and might not survive. This is a a viable, strong business built over you know twenty eight years. Um, you know, and the lockdown the first time was enough, but now we're in a per- permanent lockdown kind of as a strategy. And I, I know that a lot of people, um, and I'm not sure where you stand, but a lot of businesses have struggled to get the provincial help. They've filled out all the forms, and, and it, it's not a lot. It's $20,000, but that only goes so far, and, and a lot of businesses are still waiting for that. Yeah, exactly. We were one of, I, I can say, we were one of the first persons that, that applied for it as soon as the portal opened. Okay, so... Uh, actually, like maybe last week, and this was the beginning of January when the portal opened. And, and just last week in February, the end of February, we get approved. We still haven't seen this money, okay? Now, I don't get this. I, I don't get how this happens. How come that, the, the you know, all these other things, the SERP happens so fast, helping the landlords, uh, us pay uh, for the, you know, help the landlords uh, pay the rent and this and that. All this money flies back forth and everything. But this grant that they finally gave us that, you know, hopefully, you know, could whatever. But, I mean, come on. Like, where is it? Good where question. I mean, it, it, it's, well, it's too, too late, Alex. You know, they have to help us when we need it. Not at this point. Like, at this point, they, they screwed. I mean, come on. I've been in business 28 years. It's a successful business. If I'm talking like this, what is the little guy smaller than me saying? What are they doing? Well, a lot of them are giving up, which is the unfortunate thing, and you need only yeah, drive man. around the streets That's of Toronto crazy. to see it. So. Yeah, well, it's not just crazy. It's incredibly cruel and, and sad. And, and I and I am not going to ask you figure amounts, but have you had to take on a huge amount of debt uh, just to kind of move things around until you can open again? And is it manageable? Do you see a path back to prosperity? Okay. Okay, so you know what? I don't even want to talk figures, okay? But I'm already a quarter of a million dollar in debt, okay? Besides that, I have to pay back the government back in time for the money that they gave me in time. That's never going to happen, Alex. Not with the way things are going. Because it doesn't look like we're not opening until, I don't even know, maybe May? The way it looks, it's like Toronto, uh, us, we're getting a beating and we're getting it every which way. I mean, like, we're not going to be opening up for who knows when. And how can we keep enduring this? I still have to pay Enbridge. I still have to pay my insurance. I still have to pay all fixed costs 
Like, and I still have to pay a percentage of my rent. So how the hell do they expect me to go on and call me? How? And I, I, I and I'm not like, a, you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, like, but how much more debt can I go in? How much more? Personal and business. Because now personal, I'm in debt too, because I can't even get any money uh, like served the first time around. I can't even get that now because if I make more than $38,000 a year, I have to pay back 50% on that interest. Are you kidding me yeah. right now? You think I would actually take that? They make yeah, it even I mean, possible to help us. The little guys, what about us? How are they going to help yeah, us? I don't have no yeah. revenue coming in and out. We're helping that the landlord. We're helping this one and that one. What about us little business people? What about us? Yeah, it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul, and um, yeah, and it's yeah. it's just moving money around. Uh, let me ask you this, Francesca, before I, before I get off the phone with you. I mean, you know, there's a budget coming up in the spring, a federal budget, and the the Canadian Federation of Independent Business is asking the government not just for more aid for small businesses, uh, but also you know to forgive these loans because um, you know this has gone on far far longer. Um, than than anyone told small businesses, and and they keep moving the goalposts. What do you need to see as a business owner that really absolutely. would make a substantial Sorry, difference? Sorry, interrupting. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, they should forgive that too. Okay, because listen, like honestly, like to be eight months closed down a successful business with no revenue coming in. Come on, give me a break. You asked me to close my doors. I didn't have to. You asked me to do it. I'm doing it. You got to help me, goddammit. You know what I mean? Come on, man. Like, I need help. I have 19 employees. They have families. They have to, like, how can I just pull out now? I can't pull out now. They've got to help us. I mean, 28 years I worked our butts off to build a successful business, to be respectful in the industry. And you know what, man? Come on, man. They need to step it up a notch, and they got to help us small business people that that hold the glue to this city, man. Come on. Uh, I wish I could uh, bring you better news, Francesca, but we'll continue talking and, um, you know, getting stories like yours out there. I appreciate the passion. I certainly hear the frustration, but I appreciate your time. God bless you, Alex. Keep doing what you're doing. You're the best. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Francesca Rocchetti, look, I... It is not fair. It is just simply not fair. Uh, you got to give these businesses some kind of path. And, and, and if, if Toronto's going to stay down, shut down again, I mean, uh, all around us in the GTA, Peel's asking to open. Mississauga's asking to open. They're planning to move on to red. And Toronto's, well, I don't know. We'll just see how things go. All right. Well, then you pay their bills. You know, hand over your check, Miss uh, Dr. Davila. You, you, got, you get a check no matter what. That businesswoman does not. None of these businesses do, and uh, they've, they've had and had to, not, not given a choice, had to shut down. They did their part. It's time these elected officials, as well as uh, quote-unquote experts, did theirs. It's so, so frustrating, so, so upsetting to hear. On Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. By now, you've likely heard that the Trudeau government quarantine travel rules have kind of turned into a bit of a gong show with Peel police admitting that they are not arresting anyone who refuses to follow the restriction measures when they land at Pearson Airport, which would be they have to check into a hotel uh, at their own expense. And so what's happening is that travelers are coming in and saying, eh, no thanks. 
um, will skip the $2,000 costs in favor of a fine, which is much cheaper and also, of course, allows travelers to go into quarantine from the comfort of their home. So, again, there is a loophole and people are jumping through it. Christine Van Guy, litigation director at the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Can't say I'm surprised there's any loopholes. And I certainly can't say I'm surprised that people are trying to jump through it. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little concerned for these people who are who are doing this. Um, the the hotel stay is two thousand um, dollars up to three two thousand dollars for three days, but um, you have in order to board your flight, you need to have prepaid for that hotel. So I'm not sure if there are a lot of people who are actually going to benefit from um, what's kind of being publicly called a, a loophole, since you can't even get on your plane if you don't book the stay. And the fine, there are multiple fines. There are fines uh, under public health of up to $1,800 a day. There's fines under the Ontario Reopening Act of $880. Um, And these fines can be continued to be applied every day. The $1,800 can be applied every day um, up to $750,000. So you're Mm. really rolling the dice if you think you're going to sort of sneak out of quarantine. Um, police officers have said that they're not going to, um, you know, arrest people, but it's certainly possible that federal public health could follow up with them and impose these fines. So I think it's kind of a dangerous strategy for travelers. Well, and to your point, I mean, now that it's in the media and it's getting a lot of attention, it will get done more and more by people who just say, I'll dodge it. But then they can very well, obviously show up at your address and say, you didn't want the, uh, you know, the hotel stay. So here's a, you know, fifty thousand dollar fine or whatever they can market at. Yeah, so I I don't think it's a good idea for travelers to try and sneak around this. And I I take huge issue with these quarantine hotels. You know, mm-hmm. I think that these are an unconstitutional violation of Canadian Section Six protected charter right to enter Canada to enter their own country. And it's a it's a a cost that's prohibitively expensive for a lot of people it, that makes it a violation of their right to enter Canada if they can't afford to enter Canada and I've heard from about 4,000 individuals um, who are in that situation and I have to tell you they're not they're not unsympathetic sure there's some people who have gone on vacation um, you know I, I still think that they're entitled to enter Canada but there are a lot of people with incredibly sympathetic stories you know I've been talking to one man who wants to go to the United States to attend the birth of his first child because yes, <laughs> yes. his wife lives in the United States. I've been talking to another man who wants to go to the United States to help his wife who lives there um, while she recovers from a surgery, like a major, major surgery that makes her unable to bathe or care for herself. So mm-hmm. he needs to choose between paying for nursing care for his wife or going down himself and then having a $2,000 hotel stay when he comes back. These are very compassionate in, uh, stories. And I think that these individuals should be granted compassionate exemptions, but the rules don't allow for those for exemptions in those situations. And that's terrible. Well, but they do, they do exist if you're a foreign diplomat or part of a family of a foreign diplomat, you get a special exemption, which I think, you know, for a lot of people um, in the examples you give where, you know, they, they have a reason to go Uh, can't go. And then there's always exceptions made if you have kind of friends in all the right places. Yeah. And you know, what's weird is if the situation was reversed for these individuals, if, uh, if it was a Canadian living in the United States, 
and his wife lived in Canada and he needed to travel into Canada to help her recover from surgery, he could apply for a compassionate exemption. But because the situation's reversed and she lives in the United States and he needs to travel there, there's no exemption available. And it's very, very confusing to me why the government would grant exemptions in one set of circumstances, but not in the equally likely uh, flip side set of circumstances. And, and, and we're really very troubled by this. Right. And interestingly, enforcement of the Quarantine Act, that is all being done by public health agency. And, um, you know, look, they've got their own issues. They even can't trace properly. They've got all these other things that they're dropping the ball on. But um, they are the ones who, I guess, ultimately will decide um, whose door gets a knock uh, once the airport sends along the information of who decided to kind of jump through the loophole. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I'm also troubled about is the the hotel sort of meal program. Um, I've been speaking to a lot of people who are now in the hotels who have waited hours in, in Montreal in particular, waited hours for their food. And what right. happens if, you know, there are medical exemptions if you traveled for um, for a medical purpose. But what if you're just a diabetic traveler? Right. You You can't have your meals um, be handed, you know, like a sugar cookie for breakfast, and then wait eight hours for lunch, like you could your your actual physical health could be compromised by the failure of these facilities to meet basic human needs of of some of the people staying there. Like, you know, I'm sure all your listeners have seen photos of some of the food. And that is not sufficient for three days for a lot of a lot of people, it's not healthy for a lot of people. Yeah. And of course, they're not allowing, um, you know, people to order in. But you know, there's also the issue of safety, because we've heard and started hearing more reports that there have been sexual assaults committed uh, within these. And these are these companies are not government companies that have been hired to do uh, security. These are private companies hired by the Trudeau government to go in and, um, you know, guard the the inmates, so to speak. Um, and we are hearing, you know, the opposition wants the program called off because of that. But again, you know, it, it opens up the questioning of like, who's doing the security? Have they been vetted? Um, and, and what's to say that your safety is not, not in peril, given, you know, we've heard now a couple of different cases. Yeah, so there have been two allegations of sexual assault related to these quarantine hotels. The first was in Montreal, and it was a um, a guest assaulted another guest. And one right. of the troubling things we've also heard is that some of these hotels have removed the deadbolts yeah. from the doors. So um, it makes me really concerned about the safety of the people who are being forced into these facilities. The second story relates to um, a woman in Halton area who had been released from the facility and was at her home and the um, the private contracted security who's supposed to check up on all of these travelers at their homes uh, is alleged to have sexually assaulted that woman when he went to check up on her. Um, it's something along those lines. And um, that raises a different set of concerns. You know, what, like what was the process for hiring these security? What kind of background checks were done? Um, was it, was, were these individuals thoroughly vetted? Like, how do we know this person doesn't have a history of behaving this way? Um, how many other victims might there be? The, and I absolutely agree with the opposition that until some of these questions are answered and we can have faith in this system that is not going to actually result in, in assaults, uh, that this program should be suspended. 
Right. But again, this was hastily made, um, you know, uh, legislation put in at the 20th hour to make it look like the federal government is doing their part. It comes way too little, way too late to actually make a difference because the variants and the COVID virus is here. Uh, so it's again, it's, it's you know, acting uh, like you're doing something when actually you're not doing it. And now we're starting to see some of the, um, you know, the, the loopholes and the, 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 the short the, the shortfalls of them. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you about that. We were waiting nearly three weeks for these, the ordering council detailing how these hotels would run um, nearly two and a, nearly three weeks after the policy was announced. I've heard so many stories of travelers who can't even get through to the right. to book it. It is just one of the most disastrous policies I've seen this government implement. And, uh, you know, they've had a lot of those, but this mm-hmm. one's particularly bad. Well, it is. And I, I suspect these kinds of cases will get into the courts. And um, and again, it, uh, the ruling will, I think, likely be in favor of the, you know, of the complainant. But uh, it, it was just so avoidable had they given the right thought, right timing and, and actually thought out a plan instead of throwing one together. So it yeah. is the theme of this pandemic. Christine, appreciate your time on this. Thank you so much for having me on. Christine Van Gogh joining us. And so again, her piece of advice, it might be a loophole, might not want to jump through it because you could find yourself getting a knock at the door with a whole uh, entirely different kind of fine that you didn't foresee. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Stay with us on point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. The good news, we have a third vaccine choice. This is AstraZeneca, which has now been approved, a vaccine that we have now 20 million doses of. But the question is, you know, when will we get it, which we are supposed to get sometime in the spring? And because we're still reliant on the EU and, of course, India now to send the doses, um, you know, hopefully things will stay on track. But this is one of those vaccines we could and should have made ourselves because this is a vaccine that has facilities already up and running that could have made it. And of course, we know the Trudeau government chose to invest in the failed Consino deal instead of investing in facilities that would have made this vaccine, rolled it out here and no delays. And so it's good news, long overdue news. But the reality is it won't speed things up because by spring, late spring at that, we will only still have only 6 million Canadians vaccinated. Let's bring in Amir Adaran to this conversation, professor of law and medicine at the University of Ottawa, also a trained epidemiologist. And of course, you have written about this extensively since last August. This is good news. What's the fine print that you're seeing on it? The fine print is how little news it actually is. Um, In order to lay hands on more doses, Today, Health Canada has approved the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. It's a good vaccine. That's Mm -hmm. a good decision. It's late because that vaccine was approved in the United Kingdom in December. So, you know, we dragged our feet another two months before approving it here. But worse is this. The government doesn't have a source (laughs) for this new vaccine. And, And so they've had to announce a deal today with an Indian company, we are getting vaccines made in India now, Mm -hmm. um, which will only, uh, according to the news reports that are out, provide us 2 million doses. And that is a travesty because this vaccine, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, would be easy to manufacture in Canada. We had the facilities last year to manufacture 2 million doses a month. And we didn't do it. Yeah. And that's purely down to the government 
blowing this file from beginning to end. You all know there's so much politics to this. Um, you know, lots of talk of a spring election. The prime minister, this is his one thing that if he messes up, you know, he'll get away with a lot of other things in politics. You know, maybe the abstaining on the, the genocide vote, maybe SNC, all these other things. But when it comes to vaccines, this is his Achilles heel. But the optics of it, and if you read all the papers and see the headlines, is this is great news. We've got vaccines coming. So I think a lot of people are going to be very, very excited that freedom is is here. Are you confident at all that we're going to get um, these shipments on time? And then what happens after the two million has been sent? Do we just then wait in line with the EU to get the rest? Well, it depends what you mean, Alex, by on time. I mean, even if the shipments arrive tomorrow, they're horribly, horribly late. Yeah. Uh, Just do the comparison. Canada has almost exactly the same population as California. But Today, California has vaccinated five times as many people as Canada. They're not a little bit ahead. It's like we're trying to, we're struggling to round the, you know, single lap and they've run five laps. And, and, you know, that's the way it is going to be for for the rest of 2021, that the, the United States, the United Kingdom and other countries will beat Canada's delivery. We're already horribly late. And that's because of execrable decisions that the prime minister made last year. The leading one was not to manufacture any vaccine in Canada. But the the vaccine that's been approved today from Oxford and AstraZeneca would have been dead easy. I mean, really easy to manufacture in Canada with the facilities that we had that wouldn't have given us enough. But those facilities could have been rapidly expanded last year. And instead, what the government's come up with is a plan to expand them that is so slow, they won't be expanded until the end of this year. So, so we're, we're really missing the boat again and again. And it's, it's thanks to some very, very poor, unscientific leadership, really. And yet no one asks about that because, of course, you know, the, the, the main questions, as you well hear, the, the talking points are, you know, everyone will be vaccinated by September. And, uh, and you just get basic questions from the journalists because they're not trained in this particular uh, area. Um, and so, you know, my sister who lives in Connecticut, who's my kind of like a year older than me, we're not old ladies. Um, she's getting hers next week. And the biggest problem she had was deciding, does she want the Pfizer? Or does she want the Moderna? And I was like, please don't just to take whatever you can get, but they don't have to because they've got choice there and they're rolling it out so quickly. So she'll be vaccinated uh, before the end of March. And do you have any confidence that Canadians will, in fact, get this vaccination by September? Because between now and then, there's going to be an election. Um, And if it's even looking like it's going to happen, then Canadians will forgive this government. That's kind of where I, I think there's a little bit of politics at play is that they're looking like they're doing it, but will people notice the failure to deliver? Or are we just so good here in Canada with um, accepting, uh, you know, the bar on the ground that it'll just get all forgiven? Look, I can't really predict politically what's going to happen. But what I can say is... Albeit this, you have today, so far since August. I mean, I'll give you that. Yeah, You've got everything right since August. But, you know, Alex, I, I can predict the scientific side of things. I can predict the the pharmaceutical side of things, election predictions are are out of my wheelhouse. But Mm -hmm. what I, what I think is probably true. And uh, you know, you're on to something is that the poor performance has done and will continue to do Justin Trudeau harm. 
as we are speaking right now, Canada's performance on vaccination is so awful that the percentage of people who've got vaccinations in developing countries is higher. Turkey has immunized Mm -hmm. a higher percentage of people. Morocco has. Chile has. Those are not countries of Canada's wealth by any stretch. I I mean, Morocco's a a middle-income North African country. But they have done a better job on this than Ottawa has to date, and and that's a problem. And as far as the government's promises, they're fanciful. They're just fanciful. I mean, the government has promised that by the end of the second quarter of this year, um, roughly 14 million uh, will be out there vaccinated. But that, that number doesn't hold any truth, and the reason is this. For us to hit that number, Canada needs to, starting today and every single day, achieve a rate of vaccination higher than the United States. If you don't achieve every single day between now and the end of June, a higher vaccination rate than the USA, you cannot hit that number. That is very improbable. I do not see any chance of Canada, which has been failing horribly up till today, all of a sudden tomorrow being better at it than the Americans. It just isn't going to happen. And, and then how and so, can, Okay, go ahead. No, you please. I was just going to jump in and say, and then how concerned are you with the, with the language that we're hearing more and more about one dose, that we can do one dose and spread them out, which is not really how it's prescribed on the bottles. But if vaccination in political terms means getting one shot into people, that is not a truth. That is kind of a, a twisting and a, a manipulation of what we're actually supposed to get. But it does deliver on, well, you got a vaccine. It's just you didn't get what you were supposed to get. Well, sure. I mean, that's like saying, you know, everyone can can have shoes by September. Some of you will have a right shoe. Some of you will have a left <laughs> shoe. But you know, none of you is going to walk out of the door with a pair of shoes, or very few anyway. I, I, I mean, that, that's, of course, political trickery. Now, the truth is, one dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine is pretty good. And you can postpone the second dose for longer than what the manufacturer has recommended. And we know this now from data in the UK because the United Kingdom has been using this vaccine a great deal. And they took a chance on extending the period between the first and second dose. And it does seem to have paid off. We don't have the same confidence that you can extend the Pfizer or Moderna dosing interval the same way without running into problems. Personally, my guess is you could. But that's only a guess. That's, that's not science. And until, until we have science on this, until we have some actual data showing that there is not just temporary immunity, but long-lasting immunity from a single dose, that's not the way we should go. Stay tuned. But nonetheless, um, I follow you kind of religiously on this stuff because you called it from August and you've been right ever since. And I I hope at some point you're wrong because we all need this to happen. But uh, I just think Canadians need to have their expectations managed uh, with some honesty. So I appreciate you joining us with that. Thanks, Alex. I sure wish I'm wrong, too. (laughs) We'll we'll talk again, Professor. Thank you. That is uh, Professor Amir Ataran. Again, Don't read the headlines. Always read the fine print when it comes to these things. 
You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday starting 630 sharp here. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.